Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening. Welcome to Genesee Valley Church's online podcast. GVC is a non-denominational church in Flint, Michigan, and our mission is simple. To love God, love people, and love life. I know that you will be blessed by the message and the words that God has for you today. Now, here's Pastor Tony. Our brand new babies, you know, have a little way of uh, uh, putting uh, uh, some pull on you, right? <laughs> but nevertheless, we just thank all of you who serve and just uh, are a blessing to what God's doing. Amen? Well, you know, we've been in the last few weeks on this series called Breaking the Back of Lack. And, and I hope it's been a blessing to you. And I know that's been a blessing to me, just helping me uh, stir some things up in my own heart. But, you know, as we get started here, you know, it made me think of... Uh, just a few years back, uh, TCT was a Christian television station up in Saginaw. In fact, Chuck right here on the front, our children's minister, uh, he was one that managed uh, part of the station up there and was just a tremendous blessing. In fact, he's been was there for over 20 plus years and they actually just shut the station down up in Saginaw. But several years ago, I had done lots of work with them. And there was a program that was called TCT Alive. It was a nationally syndicated program. And uh, I just was blessed to be a part of the station and some of the programming that they did. And so one of the station, or excuse me, one of the programs that we were doing, uh, we were having a guest minister in. His name was uh, Marty Blackwelder. We've had him in our church. In fact, it's been roughly about two years ago since he's been with us. But he and I were going up to Saginaw uh, to do a program together. And so on the way, we stopped at Starbucks there in Bertrand. I'm sure some of you know where that's at, right at the entrance of the mall. And so we got our Starbucks, and we got on the highway, heading down the road, heading up to Saginaw. And right as uh, Brother Marty is taking a drink of his coffee, the lid popped off, and coffee spilled all over him. And he's like, oh! And you realize that's hot. But the, the most significant thing is, is that he spilled it all over him, and we're getting ready to do a national program on television. And I'm thinking, you poor guy. And in the midst of me thinking, you poor guy, I'm thinking, I'm just glad that wasn't me. <laughs> but once you know it, between him spilling his and before we got to the station, I'm taking a drink, my lid pops off, and I spilled coffee all over me. And so we get up there. And we're getting ready to do the program. But let me ask you the question. If that was you and you're doing a program, you know, we're supposed to be men of the cloth. We have our suits on. We're supposed to look dignified, looking like we got it all together. And you're getting ready to do a program. What would be on your mind in the midst of getting ready to do the program? The coffee that was spilt all over you. Exactly. And we did our best to cover it up, and I, get, I think we did all right in trying to hide it and kind of covering up the, the, the coffee stains on us. But my point in bringing that up to you is that once we had the coffee stain on us, that was what was on our mind. It's just like, you know, if you've got a special event going on and you've got a blemish on your face. I mean, let's call it what it is. It's a pimple. And so you're getting ready to do what you're getting ready to do. And you're thinking, oh, my gosh, I've got Mount Everest on my face. <laughs> and that's all you see is that pimple on your face. Come on, you tracking with me? So I hope that in the last several weeks, as we've been talking about breaking the back of lack, that it has begun to expose and, and uh, illuminate areas of lack that we have allowed to creep into our lives. Because you realize, and we've said it before, that poverty is not just a means of having or not having enough money. 
We said that the definition of poverty is when it doesn't reach, when it doesn't meet the mark, when it doesn't measure up. And we said that there's all kinds of areas that we can allow poverty to enter into our lives, right? You look at prejudice, racism. What's the root of it? Poverty. When we look at the problems that we're facing within our marriages, what's the root of it? Poverty. Just a poverty mentality. It's not reaching. We looked at concerning the family. We said that the number one crisis in America today is the absence of a father or fathers are not reaching and therefore it has created an epidemic and it has caused so many uh, chain effects of problems as a result of the family not having or I should say having poverty within it. Are you tracking with me? And so as I said, hopefully over these last several weeks, we've begun to expose some things that as you have gone from week to week, you have started to become more aware and greater aware of areas in your own life that you have just permitted poverty to remain. And if we can identify it, then obviously we can get rid of it, right? Amen. And so we said this in regards to God. We said in Galatians chapter, I believe it was 13, the Bible says that God has called us to liberty. He said, now don't use this liberty as a means to serve your flesh. He says, but through love, serve one another. So that word liberty, we said, is defined as this, as privilege, immunity, and exemption. So God, if you're a Christian, if you're here, if you've received Christ into your life, He has called you to live a life of privilege. Can you say amen? Amen. Can you raise your hand and say, that's me? Amen. I've been called to live a life of privilege. That might bend your nose out of shape because I'm saying God's called me to live a life of privilege. But that's what God said. And if you don't like me saying that about me, then you're not going to like it that God said it about you. God said you've been called to live a life of privilege. And there's immunity and exemptions that come with that. And you, one, first of all, are exempt from having to live a life or having poverty to run rampant in your life. Amen. And so today I want to take a little bit of a turn as we address this subject. In John's gospel, in fact, the funny thing is, is that I had my message all prepared. And and you notice I don't have any notes because just as I was praying and reading this morning, God just basically said, here's where I want you to go. So, praise the Lord. I'm excited when God gives you messages hot off the press. How about you? Amen? Amen. Well, in John's gospel, Jesus said this. He said, this is how people will know that you're my disciples. He says, people will know that you're my disciples for your love and service towards one another. Amen. He says, you'll know that you are my, they will know that you are my disciples by how you love and serve one another. Well, didn't we see there in Galatians where he said, listen, you've been called to liberty, but it's not just to serve you. In fact, this liberty gives you more than just the means to serve you, but to love and serve other people. So this liberty is more than enough. It's beyond you, bigger than you, and it's enough for those around you, right? And he said, they'll know you how you love and serve one another. But then Jesus also said this in John's Gospels. He says this. He says, if you love me, keep my commandments. 
If you love me, keep my commandments. Well, I don't know about you, but when it comes to serving people, if I'm just going to be honest with you, when it comes to just my natural person of who Tony is, apart from being a Christian, life is too busy to fool with you. I'm talking about just me. I mean, I've got enough issues on my own. I've got enough stuff to attend to, let alone worry about you. Take care of your own. Don't involve me in your stuff. I'm talking that's the natural man, right? But see, the liberty that God give us, has given us says, listen, I've taken care of you, and if you'll purpose to walk with me, you'll begin to love one another. Amen? So there's a change of heart on the inside. Why? Because I'm not just living this life for me. I've got the ability to, and the awareness to know, man, God's got my back, and therefore I, can get, I, can, I got your back. Right? But here's where the rubber meets the road. If I'm going to love you and not just live a life of selfishness, that means that I've got to have a relationship with God. Because if I don't have a relationship with God, I'm not going to give a rip about you. <laughs> Are you here? So why is the church not reaching like it should? Is because we have been doing this life apart from God. I, I mean, we're, we're Christians. We've received Christ. We're going to heaven. But when it comes to this life, I've just been living this life by myself. Right? But God says, if you'll have a relationship with me, if you'll come to know me, if you'll begin to love me and be loved by me, you'll begin to experience a life of liberty where you, you'll see that your life is taken care of and you'll begin to have a heart for those around you. Amen. Amen? So if you have your Bibles, turn over to Acts chapter 27. Acts chapter 27. And because this was just this morning that... My direction changed. You probably won't have scriptures on the screen because I didn't send them any kind of notes for this. So you'll just have to follow along. If you don't have a Bible, I suggest you go buy one. Because, man, you need one, all right? <laughs> Amen. If you have one, you got to find it. If you know where it's at, then blow the dust off of it, all right? <laughs> Come on. Our Bibles are necessary. But now, we see in Acts chapter 26... Paul, the Apostle Paul, is standing before King Agrippa. And he's beginning to talk to him about some things. And he's starting to share his personal story and his account of when he, he received and met Christ. He says, I was heading to Damascus. I was, I was there on the road. And all of a sudden, Jesus appeared to me. And he said, it was such a, a glorious light. He says, man, I fell to the ground. And he said, I was blinded. But in the midst of that, he says... God said, Jesus said to me, he says, Saul, why do you persecute me? He said, why are you doing what you're doing? And then the next statement is paramount to everything that Paul ever did. Paul's statement was this. Who are you, Lord? Amen? How is it that you are going to know the liberties and the privilege that God gave you through Christ unless we are asking the question, who are you, Lord? I want to know you. I want to know you. Who are you? I know that you died for my sins. I know that you went to the cross. But who are you? I want to know you. I don't want to just know about you. I don't want to just have salvation. I want to know you. Who are you, Lord? Lord? 
Amen? And so he's standing before him and giving his, his account. But that was the question that propelled Paul's life of living a victorious life of privilege because he was saying, God, Jesus, who are you? As the story goes on, the Bible tells us that they, in fact, at this point in time, Paul was a prisoner. I said he was a prisoner. Now, it's interesting as well, this life of privilege, the Bible says, whom the Son sets free is free indeed. So Paul was the most free man within that prison, yet he was imprisoned. Do you realize that you as a Christian have freedoms and privilege through Christ Jesus? But you know what? You are imprisoned to this world. You are. Until we go home to be with Jesus, this world has become our prison. Now, does it mean that it's necessarily a bad thing? No, it just means that there's things that go on within this world that we can't do anything about because it's a fallen world and we live in it. But in the midst of this fallen world, God has called us to be free and has called us to live a life of liberty and privilege. And so Paul is a prisoner. But even though he's a prisoner, he is extremely free. But then they give a charge. They says, now, guys, take the prisoners to Italy. And as they're getting ready to depart, Paul starts to look around and he says, listen, guys, he says, this might not be any of my business. He says, but you know what season it is. You know the time in which it is right now. And he says, I've got a good sneaking suspicion that this is not a wise choice. In fact, he says, I perceive that this trip is going to produce great loss if we go. Well, why did Paul say that? Because in that season, in that region, it was a very uh, tumultuous time concerning the weather. How many of you know that there's times within our United States that all of a sudden you start hearing about hurricanes? It's hurricane season, right? Well, that's what was taking place right then when Paul was getting ready to depart or when they were getting ready to depart to Italy. And they said, well, we're going to do it anyways, Paul. Now, let's pick up here with that being said in chapter 27, starting in verse 13. So they started on the journey. And in verse 13, it says, when the south wind blew softly, supposing that they had obtained their desire, putting out to sea, they sailed close to Crete. So notice what it says here. Paul warned them and says, listen, this is a bad choice to make. And they had made their choice already. But in the midst of making their choice, there was just a little soft wind that came. They saw the storm off in the distance and thinking, well, I don't know if that's going to hit us or not. But it bypassed them and just a soft wind came. And they said, well, I guess we got what we desire. We can take off. Isn't that very similar to us as Christians in this life? There was a season and a time when we received Christ and we said, God, I want to know you. But then as life starts to take its course, we start to say, you know what? I want to do my thing. I, 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 I want to go here and I want to do that and I want to make my own choices. Yet on the inside, something's saying, you know what? Probably not the best choice. But then because it don't blow up in our face and we think, man, I escaped some mess. We just sit back and get real comfortable and just start coasting through life. 
Isn't that what we do as believers? And oftentimes that's what happens. You go from storm to storm to storm. But in the midst of the storm, when everything is calm, we're thinking, well, you know what? I guess I'm good with God. I guess I don't need to do really anything. I guess it don't matter if I go to church. I, don't, I guess it don't matter if I read my Bible or pray because everything's good right now. Come on, is that relating to anybody? Come on, that hits me. There's times where you, <clears throat> you just get complacent because everything just seems to be coasting along. But in the midst of everything coasting along, look at what it says here in verse 14. It says, but not long after this tempestuous headwind arose called uh, your, what is it? Euroclidon. Thank you very much. You're a Greek scholar. So this storm called Euroclidon rose up. So notice, do we name our storms today? Do we, do we ever name hurricanes? Hurricane Sandy. Come on, right? <laughs> we, name our, we name our storms. So this must have been a real doozy because they named the storm. Are you here? All right, so there was a storm that arose. And in verse 15 it says, So when the ship was caught... It could not head into the wind, but we let her drive. So in other words, they were headed to Italy, but they couldn't go anymore because the storm was withstanding them and blowing against them. And so finally they just threw their hands up and said, okay, wherever the storm wants to take us, that's where we're going. Because it's too much for us. Amen? What do we do in life as as believers sometimes when the storm comes? Because we've not said, God, who are you? And gotten to know him. It seems like the storm is too big and we throw our hands up and it takes us where it wants us to go. Right? Let's continue reading. Verse 18. And because we were exceedingly tempest-tossed, the next day they lightened the ship. So notice. The storm is beating on the ship. They're taking on water. They're afraid that it's going to sink. And so all the things that they don't need, they start throwing overboard. So at this point in time, are they gaining or are they losing? They're losing. So in other words, when the storm came as a result of not taking heed to the direction of the Lord, poverty started hitting that boat, right? And they started getting rid of things, and they seemed as though they weren't necessarily important. But nevertheless, it started to create poverty, or there was starting to be withdrawal from the ship. Are you seeing this? Let's continue. Verse 20. It says, or actually verse 19. It says, then on the third day, we threw the ship's tackle overboard with our own hands. So now, the day before, the things that we didn't need, we threw over. But man, it's still getting rough. So now the things that we do need, we need them. These are tools. These are things that help us do what we're doing. But yet, there's still something that is is facing us, and it's going to be at a great cost. But nevertheless, we got to get rid of this too. Right? So once again, poverty, or there was a withdrawal of where they were losing as a result of the storm that arose. Verse 20. It says, Now, when neither sun nor star appeared for many days, and no small tempest beat on us, all hope that we had to be saved was finally given up. So they thought they escaped it. Oh, that wasn't so bad. It was just a little bit of a wind. It was just a little bit of rain. We're going to continue to do our own thing. 
But as they did their own thing, the storm came. And as the storm hit, they started getting rid of stuff, the non-essential stuff. Then the things that they actually did need, they had to get rid of that. And then on the final day where it says there was no sun, no starlight. I mean, this was a dark time and a dark hour. They finally says, we're not going to get saved. We're going to die. And they gave up. As believers, children of God, I'm speaking to you. You're Christians going to heaven, but has life ever felt like it is so dark? No light. And it's like, God, I give up. There's no hope in sight. You realize that that's never God's desire. Now, there's two groups of people. There's Paul that says, God, I want to know you. I want to know you, Lord. And then there's those people that are along the ride that says, we're going to do things our way. Do you realize that there's those two kinds of people within church today? There's those kinds of people that say, God, I want to know you. And then there's those people that says, well, I go to church. but I'm doing my own thing. Which ones do you hear telling the stories of the storms of life most often? Don't look at your neighbor. Don't tell off on them now, all right? All right. They says they've given up. All hope was gone. Now let's look at verse 22. Paul stood up and he says, And now I urge you to take heart, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only the ship. For there stood by me this night an angel of God who I belong and whom I serve, saying, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must be brought before Caesar. And indeed God has granted you all those who sail with you. Therefore take heart, men, for I believe in God. That is that we will, it will be just as it was spoken to me. Amen. So what does God do to help you experience the liberty and the privilege? He sends a man of God or a pastor in your life and says, Listen, I know it looks bad, but let me give you some encouragement. It's not over till it's over. It's not over because God stood by me and said, Listen, if you'll follow me, if you'll seek my face, I'll bring you out and there will not be any loss because I've called you to liberty. Amen. I tell you what, I'm so excited again. I know people say, well, you know what? It seems like attendance is down right now. It is right now. But listen, you can focus on those that aren't here or you can focus on who's here. Amen? Come on, you're here. And I'm here to tell you, I believe in God. I believe that God said he'll do what he said he will do. I believe that God has called us to not be a church that is struggling and barely getting by, but a church that lives in the liberty and the freedom of God to affect this nation, to serve and to love people. Amen? Praise God. That's what he's called us to do. And Paul stands up and he says, listen, if you'll stick with me, if you'll hear what I'm saying to you, it's not just me telling you, it's what God's speaking to us. There may have been some loss, but listen, we're coming out and coming over. In verse 26, in verse 26 it says this. It says, however, we must run aground a certain island. Now notice that. Isn't that interesting? He says, God has said that we're going to get through this thing. I believe God, however. Do you know what that however represents? 
This, however, represents something different than what you originally chose. He says, however, we've got to run into this island. Well, where were they headed to? Italy. See, you might have made some choices for your life and said, this is what I'm going to do. I'm choosing to go here and do this. And you said, I'm not going to ask God about it at all. I'm not even concerned about God being involved in my life. This is what my heart's desire is. But God says, listen, you've experienced some loss in your life. But listen, if you allow me to redirect your course, however, this is where I want you to be, you'll experience the liberty that I came to give you. Amen? Are we in that position to say, God... I know what was in my heart, but I just want to know you. Who are you? Amen. It goes on to say here, dropping down into verse 31. It says that they were out there for 14 days. Come on, two weeks of blackness. Two weeks of experiencing poverty and lack where they're having to get rid of stuff. Two weeks they're experiencing darkness and the storm that seems as though it's going to take their lives. Come on, sometimes we've only gone through two hours of hardship. Sometimes we've gone through two days and we're ready to give up. Here's day after day after day for two weeks. And they says, we believe God. In verse 31, Paul said this to the centurion and the soldiers. He says, unless these men stay on the ship, you can't be saved. Why did he say that? Because men were ready to jump off the boat. They were ready to bail ship. Come on. What's that referring to? Your church. Come on, unless we stay together, poverty will come into our lives. When it seems as though it gets dark, if you just curl up into a ball in the corner where there's no support, no help, no edification or exhortation, you'll sit there and cry your tears until you're dry, but it will never change the circumstance. God says, it's not good for you to be alone. He says, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. Come together to the body of Christ. Be united. It's only when you separate yourselves from the commonwealth of the body of Christ that you begin to experience lack and poverty at a greater level. I'm not talking just about money. Let's put that on the table. I'm talking about experiencing poverty Where things don't reach. Come on. He says it's important for you guys to stay together. Don't bail ship. So what does that mean? That means that God expects you to come together as the family of God. You might say well I put my time in once a week. Or I'm sorry once a month. Well how well do you think you're going to be knowing God. If all you do is come to church once a week. Now I'm not putting pressure on anybody. And I'm not pointing anybody out. You do what you you do what you do, but obviously, if you only go to work one day out of the month, what's your paycheck going to look like? Just common sense. So God says, "Listen, if you want what I have for you, if you want to know about and experience this liberty, this life of privilege of of exemption and immunity." Don't forget about this because this is where you grow and learn and develop in understanding who I am. Amen. You can't do it apart from this. And just in case you didn't hear me, I said, you can't do it apart from this. I mean, you need this. You need me. I need you. You need each other. Because there's power in unity. 
down to verse 34. He says, therefore, I urge you to take nourishment for this for your survival, since not a hair from your head, nor will fall from your head, any of you. He says, and when he has said these things, he took bread and gave thanks to God and presented it to them all. And when they had broken bread and gave eat, they were all encouraged and they all took food for themselves. So once again, he says, okay, guys, listen, we're together here. It's important that you're strong and healthy. Take nourishment. How do you take nourishment? Spiritually speaking. Be in the word. Be in church. Listen. Hear. Spend time in God's presence. And when you do that, you're beginning to know who he is. Every time you come to church, that's really what you're saying. God, I want to know who you are. Every time you open up your Bible, you're saying, God, I want to know who you are. Every time you say, God, I want to pray and talk to you right now. You want to know, I want to know who you are, God. If you're going to experience this life of privilege, you got to stay nourished. You got to stay fed. Are you doing okay? Verse 36. Or verse 37. It says that there was 276 people there together with him. They began to see land. They saw the island that they were headed to. Verse 40 says, And then they let the anchors go and let them in the sea. Meanwhile, losing the rudder ropes, they holstered the mainsail to the wind and made for shore. Now listen to what it says here. They had anchors that were keeping them in place. It's like, okay, we're in control right now. We're anchored down. I've got things where I want them to be. And God says, okay, in order for you to experience this life of privilege, you've got to let go. So they let loose of the anchors. And it said that they lost the rudder rope. What's the rudder do? The rudder steers the ship. So God says, listen, let loose. Stop trying to take control for me. Stop trying to direct your own life. Let it loose. Let it go. And let me direct your life. Amen. Then it went on to say this. It says, all right. Now. Now that you're drifting. You're setting your your, your sights on the island. You're almost there. And you're thinking, man, we've got it inside. We're, We're saved. And once you know it. As soon as they turn loose. The Bible says that the mast or whatever was in the water, I can't remember what it says right offhand concerning the word, but it says it hung up on the rocks and got stuck. Come on, see, so many times we say, God, I want to know who you are, and God, I'm surrendering my life to you, and therefore we expect everything to be great without any opposition at all. But it's just in that moment where you say, God, I'm surrendering to you, that the enemy says, oh, yeah, yeah. How you like this? And it feels like you got stuck again. It's like, oh, I'm not going anywhere. I can see it, God. Privilege is right there. But God, what do we do? And God says, all right, now that you're stuck, can you swim? The Bible says, Paul said to him, all of you who can swim, jump in. See, when you say, God, I want to know you, God's saying, okay, lose control, 
follow me and just jump in and allow the Holy Spirit to begin to take you where he wants and teach you and show you the things that he desires for your life. Amen? Amen! So they finally get to shore. I'm winding this up. They finally get to shore. They get back and they rescue those that couldn't swim that were on the boat. And they're all sitting there trying to get warm, trying to get fed. And the Bible says they're trying to find wood for fire so they they can get warm. And in the midst of trying to find firewood, see, Paul was the one that said, listen, I want to know you, God. And all the while, Paul says, I know that God's got my back. I know that poverty won't strike and hit my life because I know who he is. Even though all those that were with him were scared for their life, Paul says, I know what God said. And I'm not going to experience poverty or lack or lose my life because God said. And so here they're all on the island. They're so thankful that they're alive. Just as Paul said. And as Paul is getting firewood, the Bible says that a serpent or a snake came up out of the wood and latched onto him. I mean, could anything get worse? For the last 14 days, we've been shipwrecked. We've been going through all kinds of turmoil. The storm that just showed up. And now we're on dry land. And now I got this stinking snake bite. And the Bible says that the native saw him and thought, Oh, dear God, this is a curse from God. He must be a murderer or something. Because he's getting what's due him. Because they thought he was a part of the prisoners. But then the Bible says, Paul shook it off and went about his business. What's the point? See, when you're walking with God, saying, God, I want to know you. There's things that are going to be going on around about your life, but you continue to walk through. And just because God said you will experience a life of privilege The enemy, the serpent, is always going to come up. When you had a victory, here he comes. When you have a win, here he comes. When you just barely got by and think, well, praise the Lord for that one. Here comes the devil again. And you're thinking, can it never stop? Nope. But what do you do when he comes? Shake it off. Devil, get out of here. God's called me to live a life of privilege. And I'm immune to you. And that which you come to bring to my house, which is poverty and lack, I'm exempt because I know him. Amen? And with these final thoughts, as we close, I want to challenge you this morning. Do you know who he is? Have you really begun to grow in a relationship with him Or is it just knowing about him? Because this life of privilege, this exemption from poverty in our lives, belongs to us. But let me just give you an example. Let's just say I never had a relationship with my father. It takes a father to bring a child into the world, right? But if I never knew my father, but one day this father showed up and he says, listen... I know I've not been around, but I'm going to buy you a brand new house and I'm going to buy you a brand new car. If you've never done nothing for me, never been around, do you think I'm going to trust that guy that is my father? Probably not. 
on the other side. Let's say I do have a great relationship with my dad, as I do. And my dad says to me, son, you know what? Rather than waiting until we die, we're going to bless you right now. We're going to buy you a brand new house. You know, you got three kids. They're getting big. And, you know, we're going to buy you a big, bigger house that has more room for you. And, and you know what? Your car's a little bit older. We're going to buy you a brand new car. And, and the reason that we're going to do that is because we want to see you enjoy the blessing rather than waiting until we're gone. If my father came and said that to me, then two questions come, up, come about. If I do trust my father, the next question is, is he sincere? And the third question is, is does he have the ability? Are you, are we living this life of privilege? The definition of that life of privilege is always having all sufficiency in all things that abounds to every good work. Is that the definition of your life? If you would say no, then my question would be is, are you a Christian? And if you say, well, yes, I'm a Christian, then my next question is, is then why are you not experiencing that life of privilege? You might say, I don't know. Then what it comes down to is, do you not trust your father? Well, no, I, I, I believe God can. Then the next question is, is, do you believe that he is sincere in what he said? You see, apart from having a relationship with him, we won't truly believe what he said in this word. We'll read about it and say, well, isn't that a good story? But the book didn't end. The book is still being, being written today. We are writing the stories ever present, ever living today. And when we get to heaven, there are going to be those that tell the stories of you. Hey, do you remember when we were watching and they decided to ask God, we want to know who you are. And God, you just became big in their life. And look at the things that they did. Look at how they touched people's lives. Look how this world missed them because of what you did through them. See? God wants us to ask that question. God, who are you? I want to know you. Amen? Let's stand With every head bowed and every eye closed. I want you to leave this place. And as you begin your work week. Starting all over this week. I want you to begin to ask the question. God. Am I living the life of privilege? And if you can honestly say no. I'm not experiencing that. Then say God. Help me know who you are. I want to know who you are. And allow God to begin to direct your life. Say, God, I, I don't want to sail my own ship. I want to just throw caution to the wind and allow you to direct my life. 
And as you do, you'll begin to find that He speaks to your heart and begins to give you understanding of who He is. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray for every single person that is in this place. I pray that we would come to that place of total surrender to you to say, God, I want to know who you are. I want to know you as provider. I want to know you as my friend. I want to know you as my Savior. I want to know you as my healer, my provider. I want to know you. Holy Spirit, arrest our hearts. Don't let us go a day without pulling on our hearts to come closer to you. God, I thank you that today is a beginning day in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. subscribe to this podcast and take a look at all of our social media sites which can be found at our website gvchurch.tv we know that today's message has been a blessing to you thanks for listening we are genesee valley church loving god loving people and loving life